My life was changed forever on a house build in 1991. I went down to Mexico with Amor Ministries. That's who we actually all go on house builds with every year still. And for the first time in my life, I grew up in Oceanside. And, you know, just 30 minutes from right here in PB, you can be across the border. And you can see the world in a completely different way. I I remember going on to the work site and seeing poverty like I'd never seen it before. People living in cardboard, plastic, whatever they could throw together. And I was just pierced on that work site. I saw God in a totally different way. I saw the people that God created in a totally different way. And I knew in that moment I had so much in my own personal life and I needed to do something about it. And so that was the beginning of this journey. This, this weekend, we're going to be challenged a little bit. Some of us are going to be super happy, you know, parts of, of maybe hearing this message. Some of us are going to squirm a little bit. And some of us are going to hope that this is the last time that Pastor Daryl ever speaks at this campus again. But we'll have some fun with a couple of passages. We're going to take a look at the Lord's Prayer and a really famous passage of Scripture, a parable that Jesus taught. You might be familiar with it, but we're going to break it down a little bit and try to make some sense over it. Uh, Jesus, when he speaks and he teaches his disciples to pray, some very fundamental things about that prayer, but the story that Jesus tells is, is definitely going to pierce us. I hope it does today. I hope it challenges us as much as it challenged me. I was on a clean drinking water trip about a year ago down to Haiti, and I went down with an organization called Water with Blessings, and it's led by a woman named Lorraine Lauder, and she's amazing. She loves God with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength. She's an amazing follower of Jesus, and when we were down there in the mornings, she, she led us through a devotional, and it's, I think it's the first time I've ever done this before. I had prayed the Lord's Prayer before, but not the way she did it. She had us pray the Lord's Prayer in a contemplative way, where we would pray a line of the Lord's Prayer, and then we would just pause, and we would meditate on it and think about it, and, and that was a game changer for me to do that. I pretty much every single day since then, For the last year and a half or so, I've prayed that prayer, and it's really served as a foundation to explode out the rest of my prayer life, and and it's important because this is the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. They asked him, Jesus teach us, and so he taught them in this specific way. So we're going to share a little bit uh, the first two parts of that. If you guys want to turn your Bibles over to Matthew Chapter 6 will be in verse 9 and 10, and this very first part when Jesus teaches his disciples, he simply prays, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I don't know about you guys, but I don't typically walk around too much and use the word hallowed in my uh, everyday conversations, but, it, but it's become kind of a cool word because for me it's kind of God's word. It means holy. It means it has so much so much to it. God is the creator. He's the redeemer. He's almighty. He spoke everything into existence, and he can take his time if he wants to. And if he is that God, if he is almighty, and he's all that, that fundamentally changes the way that I pray to him. In uh, 2006, I left. I was working at Amor Ministries, 
and uh, worked there for eight years. My wife, Sherry, she's back there. She worked there for 12 years. Amazing opportunity. We were already going to New Break at the time, and an opportunity I had heard come up uh, for an outreach and missions pastor, and so I talked to Pastor Mike about it really quick, and very quickly, I transitioned into that role. And uh, in 2007, we planted our first church campus, as Pastor Steve was t- saying earlier. We met in a movie theater. I was the campus pastor at that campus, and then we moved over into a school. So I know the setup teardown. My whole life as a campus pastor was set up and teardown. So Steve and I have that magical bond together in that, and I love it. I love this campus, you know, uh, of who you guys are and what you're all about. It's always fun to visit here. In uh, 2008... I started a nonprofit called Give Clean Water. Honestly, uh, I had done some research on, on clean water. People asked me, you know, why'd you do that? I was looking at composting toilets and solar-powered LED stuff. And, but water was this thing that resonated with me. And I knew, you know, I don't know if you know this, but water is the number, dirty water is the number one killer in the, in the world. Over a billion people don't have clean drinking water. Uh, right now as we speak. And so that's a giant problem. And there's a lot of things that we can't solve in this world with disease and everything. Clean water is not one of them. And I knew that. So I, I, we started this uh, nonprofit. And we started just, you know, riding our tricycle as fast as we could, trying to figure out how to give clean water to a country and had a big dream. You know, what if you could change the world? But what if you could change a country and what would happen? And so we we're just cruising along, you know. And uh, as I was going on this journey, I really, really loved the Clean Water Project. People would sit down with me. You know, I'd have coffee with different people, and we'd talk about stuff, and then I'd start talking about water, and they're like, whoa, dude, when you start talking about clean water, you just, like, get all electric. And, and then they started asking me, do you, do you think you would ever do that full time? And I had this big tension inside of me. Because running a nonprofit, for one thing, you have to be a good fundraiser. I'm horrible at fundraising. So that's just a, a, a big problem right there. I'm more of a systems guy. I like to create systems and accountability in the field and track analytics and what changed in people's lives, how much diarrhea was reduced in different people when you give them clean water, medical savings, all that kind of stuff. So I'm super into that, but I was really challenged with the idea of, of raising funds to do projects and everything, much less raising money for a salary. That just didn't seem logical to me. And so as I'm on this journey, I'm feeling this tension of I can't do it and feeling the tension of I need to do it. I don't know if you ever feel like that before, where, where you feel like God's calling you somewhere, but you're afraid, honestly, because you, you don't know how you're going to get there. So I start reading all these books. I read uh, some of my favorite authors, Pastor Stephen Furtick, Pastor Mark Batterson, and they have these big faith books. And I just needed to read these books at the time. And all of them were kind of saying the same thing. And I remember, I think it was in Mark Batterson's, one of his books, he, this line just jumped out at me when I'm reading. And it said this, basically, if you believe God's almighty, if you believe he's all that, that there's no limits to who God is, then why do you keep insulting God with your wimpy prayers? Whoa. And that was a challenge for me because in the middle of it all, honestly, I fell over my head. 
I felt like there's no way I can do this. I don't know how to do it. You know, I feel God's calling me. And welcome to so many stories in Scripture. And, and, and they're sharing these stories in Scripture, you know, of, of all these things that had happened. And so I finally got to this place where I was just like all pent up on the inside. In my, in my quiet time, one morning, I just stopped and I just said, okay, I'll do it. Kind of like that, too. I'll do it, God. I'll do it. I don't know. You're, you're definitely going to have to work out the math part because I'm not sure how to work the math equation out of how to do this, live here, you know, what, whatever it is. But I'll go. I'll do it. I'll do it. You figure it out. You have all the resources. It's not up to me anymore. And so I prayed that prayer. Two days later, you cannot make this crud up. I'm telling you right now. Two days later, I get a call from the owner of the company that makes the little water filters that we're using in Fiji and all over the world with lots of other NGOs. The company's called Sawyer. I had met the owner in 2008, you know, and he always had this dream of building the company up and, and being super socially responsible. He's a Christian. He saw these water filters as a tool to give clean water, change the world, and share the gospel, and he had that dream. So he calls me up and he says, hey, meet me at Island's Restaurant in Carlsbad. So I do. I go to the restaurant, and in my head, you know, I, I have this picture of what that was like because it was a little intimidating. He's kind of an intimidating guy, and he's my boss now, right? So, but at that point in time, he wasn't, so I was a little intimidated, and I sat down, and I'm not even sure he said, hey, how you doing? How's your wife? How's your kids? You know, any of that. I just picture him like with lasers coming out of his eyes, and, and I look at him, and the very first thing he says to me is, are you ready to quit your job? Hmm. Tell me a little bit more about that. And so he says, you know, the whole journey of now, you know, Sawyer's in this place, and I want you to take kind of the Give Clean Water way and bring it and teach into other nonprofits how to do this around the world and collect data and blah, 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 and change the world. And he's got this big old idea, and, and he goes, are you ready to quit your job? And I was like, can I talk to my pastor first and my wife and not in that order? And he's like, sure, sure, go ahead. So I did, I went, I talked to them both, and I was like, I can't believe this is happening. Long story short, I took that job, and one of the very first things that happened was he hooked me up with this organization called The Last Well. The Last Well was in the country of Liberia, in about 2008, they started in Liberia with a goal to give clean drinking water border to border in every household and share the gospel with every person by December of 2020. They had a way to get wells, and they were digging wells all, all over the country, but they did not have a way to get into the last mile, which is what we call to go into the bush, into the jungle, into people that are drinking out of dirty rivers. They don't, you can't get a well rig in there to, to drill it. And so Sawyer now has donated, donated 130,000 of these water filters to change the country of Liberia. This is a picture of the country of Liberia. The little red dots are kind of some areas that have been 
all the whole country is assessed. We've, we had to go in and do our own census. We literally drove every single, to every single village and took population data, household data, water source, uh, you know, all, everything that we needed to know where to go to put filters in some villages or wells in the other. The red dots all over the map, that's every, every village that's been assessed in the country. And we're going to get to those between the, the rest of this year and next year. The green dots are where we installed filters. It's kind of a high-level view of a bunch of, uh, you know, if you see one uh, green dot, there's probably a thousand villages that are underneath that. And then the yellow dots are when we go back after two weeks and follow up with families to track their diarrhea reduction. Eight weeks, we do the same thing, diarrhea reduction, medical savings, purchase water savings, all that kind of stuff. School days recaptured, work days recaptured. In Liberia, we have reduced diarrhea by 95% from all the kids that were dying in diarrhea. No, from diarrhea uh, over, over the course of, you know, the whole country and everything. And so as you, as you zoom in a little bit, you get like a, here's more of a sort of a village view. And then literally we track every single home. And we give them a survey and we track before and after results, all that kind of stuff. And I'm going to tell you right now. By December of 2020, we are on track to give clean drinking water. Liberia would be the first developing nation with border-to-border clean drinking water and arguably the, the country most saturated with the gospel by December of 2020 next year. It's epic. It's so cool. We've had a big part of that at Newbrick. But I, I, as I look at that whole, that whole thing... I have to go back to this whole idea. If God is holy and he's almighty, do we pray like he is? How long was God waiting for me to say yes? I felt over my head, completely over my head in this whole thing. And I want to tell you this. I've learned this. Through this experience, through lots of experiences, if you're in a place you feel God's leading you and you feel completely over your head, perfect. Because if you're not over your head, you could probably do it on your own and you'd take the credit, right? I'd take the credit. But if we're completely over our head with what we're doing and absolutely dependent on who God is, perfect. Because he's, he's almighty. There's no limit to his resources. That's who God is. Do we pray like he is? Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 is my, my life verse. I have it tattooed on my arm, and it says this. It's, it's a reminder every day. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably, you cannot measure it, more than all we ask or imagine. If we can think it up, we ask it. We can think it up. God is able to do immeasurably more than that according to his power, not my power. That's at work within us. That is powerful, man. That is truth from God's word. But do we pray like he's that God and do we trust him? Or do we pray wimpy prayers? I'm done insulting God with my wimpy prayers. Pray the prayer of what if. What if? What if this happened, God? What if this happened? What if this could happen? What if this could happen? What if this? Pray that prayer. And whatever God's calling you, because it's not too big for him. So then the second part of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says this. He says, pray this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That God's kingdom would come and that his will would come here on earth 
just like it is in heaven. What's heaven like? (laughs) Perfection. There's no injustice in heaven. There's no border clashes and border crossings and caravans. And there's, there's none of that in heaven, right? There's no dirty water. There's clean water, unlimited, everything. Everything's perfect. Everything thrives. There's no arguing and fighting with your family. Yes! Everything thrives the way God created it. And he says that, I want you to pray this. Pray this. Find our part in it. That, that the kingdom of God would come to this earth and his will would be done just like it is in heaven. Whew. Did you know that God made us his hands and feet to do that? We're it. We're God's plan. God, what's your plan for my life? bad question better question god what is your plan and how can i get behind it god's plan is to redeem mankind back to himself like it's it's the deal right that's why he sent jesus and so that's part of god's plan how do i fit in with what i'm doing whether or not i own a company like sawyer like my boss does and he says i have this company i've been stewarded with it I'm going to use it to change the world, or or if it's a parent, or whatever it is that God's called you to do, what is it that you will do to be God's hands and feet to the world, right? To love God, to love others. What does that look like? Especially this, who are the others? Who are the others? Turn over to Luke uh, chapter 10, if you guys want to follow along. I'm just going to summarize this passage. It's a passage uh, it's very famous, the, the story of the Good Samaritan. Hospitals have been named at it, after it and everything. And uh, Super cool story. But when Jesus tells a parable, here's what he really is after. He's giving us kind of an analogy of, of, of something where we find our place in this story. When, and I'm going to tell you right now, in this story, we are not Jesus. Okay? So we can just throw that one out. We are going to be really the priest and the Levite in the story. Straight up. Find yourself in the story. That's who we're going to be. Jesus has a teacher in the law come up to him and he says, Hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, Well, well how do you see it? What do you, what do you see? And he says, Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, Bingo. Perfect. You, you've answered correctly. But this guy wanted to justify himself, just like we do. Jesus, have you seen my neighbor? Do you know my neighbor? Seriously? And so he wants to justify himself, and he asks, who's my neighbor? So Jesus tells him a story, right? That's what Jesus does. Tells a parable. Says there's this guy. He's traveling down this road. He would have been Jewish, traveling down this road. The road's famous, um, famous for robbery and all kinds of bad stuff happening. This guy gets beaten and left on the side of the road half dead. Now, this is not a Disney parable. This is really graphic. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we think, oh, yeah. This is visceral. Jesus wants the audience to feel what he wants to say right now. And so there's this guy, and he's beaten half half dead and there's a priest 
the pastor of the day. He goes, he clearly sees that this guy's dead and half, uh, half dead on the side of the road, and he clearly looks and he goes by, walks by, passes by on the other side. Seriously? Guy number two, a Levite. He's kind of the worship leader of the day, you know, maybe a small group leader, some one of the life group leaders or something like in our context, right? And so this guy goes by, clearly sees that this guy's beaten and left half dead on the side of the road, and he walks by on the other side. Again, we're them. Guaranteed. Guaranteed we're them in, in the story. Then the next thing he says is, is would, this would have shocked the room. Seriously, it would have, would have been a stopper. But a Samaritan. <gasps> Very known throughout Scripture that Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other. They took the other way. They took the long way around. They didn't associate with, with each other. That was just all throughout. You can read that. It's historical. It's just the way it was back then. And Jesus says, but there was a Samaritan the guy who's the least likely person in the entire universe to, to stop and do anything, and he sees the person, has pity and compassion for the person, and he goes and leans in. He goes up and bandages his wounds up, puts the guy on his own animal, on his own donkey, takes him to an inn, and he stays with the guy. Some of the most powerful words in this, in this passage are, and the next day. So he takes care of him, then, then he goes, and the next day he goes up to the innkeeper, and he pulls out two days' wages. I want you to do the math real quick in your head right now, two days' wages. Whatever that is, he just gave it to the innkeeper. And he said, I want you to take care of this guy, and if he runs up a bill, I'll come back, and I'll pay you for anything else that he, that he does. But take care of him. And then Jesus looks at the uh, the, the teacher of the law, and he says, now, which guy is the neighbor? Well, the one that showed mercy. Hello, yeah, right, of course, that's it. You know what Jesus says? He goes, you go do the same. You do that. I want you to hear that loud and clear. Insert us, not into, he wants to get us from the Levite and the, and the priest, right? He, and he, now he says, this is who you're supposed to be. You go do this. And that is a challenge for us. It's a challenge because our natural tendency is to not do this, right? Our natural tendency is to label everything us versus them. Us versus them, right? In this story, I want you to picture, if you're a Samaritan, all the Jews are horrible. If you're a Jewish person, all the Samaritans are horrible. No, they're not. Nobody's all that label. Nobody's all of that. But that's what we do. You know why? Because if we can label it, we can control it. We put labels on everything. Sometimes fun stuff we put labels on. But if we can box something in and put a label on it, we can control it, right? We do it with fun things, athletic teams. Any Charger fans still in here? I asked this question. I have to do this because I can't really see anything. So there's one in the back, a couple in the back still there. I remember what happened when the Chargers moved, remember? 
well, not tons of Charger fans, but like a lot of Charger fans, at least San Diego. And then I'm like, hey, are you still a Charger fan? No, they moved to L.A. It's like they're worse than the Raiders or something now. Any Raider fans right now? All right, okay, good. I'm safe. All right, good. But yeah, you do that, right? So you're having fun. You're like, oh, yeah, those guys are great. But then you just change the label. It's the same team. And they just move up the coast. You didn't go to the games anyway because they were too expensive, right? So, like, who cares? You can watch them on TV when they're LA. in L.A. They get blacked out when they're down here, so it's, like, kind of better almost, right? But that's how we do it, right? We do it with diets. Yeah. And, uh, especially around the first of the year, right? What's the, oh, yeah, you're on that diet. If you just eat this and drink this and put that powder in there and whatever, you'll lose 20 pounds in two days. It's, like, amazing, seriously. And then there's other people who are like going, hmm, I don't know about that, that you know, that's, a, hmm, you should use this one, this is really the best one. And we label stuff, you know, that's the best one, and you know what the best diet is? Best diet and workout program is? The one you do. <laughs> yeah, that's the best one, right? We deal with parenting styles, parenting styles, like how, how you discipline your kids, you know, you know how you are, you know how we are, we go like Walmart and Target and there's a three-year-old meltdown in the aisle somewhere, you know, you're, not, you're either the parent with the three-year-old meltdown or you're, mm-hmm. right, or which school do we send them to, do we send them, to, are they homeschooled and everyone's judging me, are they in a private school and everyone's judging me, oh, do I put them in public school and everyone, Right? We label all that stuff. We do all those kind of things. We do it with political parties. All of this political party is all this thing. Everybody in it, they're all the same thing. All the political party, they're all this thing. They're all one thing. No, they're not. Nobody's all one thing. Nobody is that. But we do it because if we label it, we can control it. So Jesus punches all this stuff in the head and just a couple of practical things, right? Here's what Jesus says. I encourage you guys to do this, that you and I would forge uncommon friendships. Uncommon friendships. In this story, the most uncommon of all the friendships would have been the Samaritan befriending this other person, spending the night, giving him two days wages, coming back, paying for more money, doing all that, forming an uncommon friendship. Um, this last Christmas, we did a, a, a dinner over at the Scripps Ranch campus, Christmas dinner, where we invited 15 Syrian refugee families to come for dinner with us. And, and so we had families from, from Newbreak that, you know, sat at the table. We all brought food. They brought food. And we just met them because one of my friends is really good. He's an amazing missionary. I love this guy. His name's you might even know him, David Shupak. He's awesome. He does a lot of work with refugees that are coming in. Uh, to the country. And he said, Daryl, do you know what the biggest need somebody has when they come into the country? And I'm like, well, um, job, furniture, bed, apartment, you know, all these things I'm thinking of. And he said, a friend. That's their biggest need. They come here, they don't know anybody. The culture's totally different. They don't know how to go to DMV. They don't know how to register the kids in school. They don't know how to do anything. They just want to sit down and have a cup of coffee. And boy, do they know how to drink coffee. Uh, there's some serious, like, whew, if you ever have had Middle Eastern coffee, um, wow. <laughs> Let's just say that. But they love to sit down and they just want friends. So we decided 
What better thing we'd do? We'd have Christmas and make some new friends. We'd forge some uncommon friendships. And so we did. And after, after it was over, I encouraged the families, hey, invite the family over to your house for dinner. And then you have to do this because they will invite you back. You have to go back to their house. It's just a given. They are the most hospitable people that you'll ever meet. And so they have to do it. So we had this one couple, and they were like super nervous. Um, hey, Pastor Darrell, we invited them to our house. They're coming over on Saturday night. We're so scared. We're nervous. We don't know what to do. I know there's going to be a translator there and everything, but we're, and, and so they were, they were just nervous, but we're going to do it. We just feel like God's calling us to do this. And so then after they did, the next morning, dude, it was so awesome. It was like one of the best things we've ever done. They brought their kids over. Our kids played together and blah, 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 and they went on. And so here's a picture of them later They had both gone to each other's house for dinner, and they're at Balboa Park, hanging out with their kids. And so awesome. I don't know if you guys know this, but next Saturday at Crown Point, we're, we're we're having a big reunion. You can find this on the New Break website on the events calendar, and we're having a big picnic with our church and the Syrian refugee families that are here. We're going to get together. We're all going to share a meal. If you want to go down and just have a blast and welcome some people to our to our country now, their country, and show God's love in a tangible way. Great way to do it, but forge uncommon friendships. And here's something, I'm going to say this right now, and this might ruffle your feathers, but you know what? I have to say it. I don't care. Because in the context of where Jesus is in his day and the context of where we are in our day, our first priority is Jesus, not politics. Now, politics are there. It's totally biblical to support, the, to be a part of the process, support everything. But while we're trying to figure it out, there are people that are vulnerable, that are exploited, that are, that are abused, all kinds of things, that we need to follow Jesus to love God and to love others in the midst of it all. I believe we can do both. But our first priority is Jesus. And, and I hear this all the time, seriously, when I'm having conversations with people, I am shocked sometimes because it's almost as if we say, Jesus, you follow us. God, you follow us. Whatever I feel like, you follow me. But that is not the way that the Son of God came into this world. He said, follow me. Love God, love others. I'm going to show you what loving is like. He's going to lay down his life. The son of God emptying himself of everything, right? In Jesus' time, in Jesus' time, the, the political process was out of control. Seriously? The Romans were large and in charge. There was, everybody had opinions about politics. In the midst of that, Jesus tells this story of somebody who's the last person that you would think of and how to love. In the midst of what in a few years would be Nero and Nero's reign of terror of how he would dip Christians. This is how much Christianity should have been stamped out, according to Nero. Dip Christians in, in wax and light them on fire as human candles. Throw them into the, to, to the lion's den of the big arenas and watch them be devoured as a part of uh, Nero's circus. Again, this is not Disney. This is the real deal. Why would Christianity survive? How could it survive? 
Well, the reason why is because the disciples lived with Jesus. They saw him do all the miracles there. They, they heard him say, hey, the Son of Man is going to die, and three days later he's going to raise from the dead. And they saw him, and they watched it all, and then they saw him ascend into heaven, and, they, and Jesus gives them the Great Commission. Go into all the world. He goes, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth, right? You're going you're gonna to do it. You guys, you're it. We're it. And so Jesus does all that. Christianity, what the disciples are like, what's Nero got on us? We saw the Son of Man raised from the dead. That's how you do it. We're going to go love. And so they did. In the midst of all that, they went and loved. They shared. They leaned in. When we're on that journey, I want to encourage you that, that you and I don't just play defense. We play offense. We are really good at playing defense. Our natural tendency Our natural tendency is to play defense and to play it safe. We do it all the time. It's a a big challenge, right? The priest, the Levite, they play defense. Okay, I saw this person, I'm playing defense. You know what will happen if I stop there? You know how long that conversation is going to be? And they walked away and they went on the other side. Because they didn't want to lean in. We protect ourselves from leaning in. We, We protect ourselves from all that. We, li- we actually live and embrace playing defense in such a good way where we want to just be safe. And Jesus, you know, there's times when life comes at us and you have to play defense. You have to do it on a certain level, but to play offense, to get in the game. I had a friend of mine. He was uh, one of my roommates in college and an uh, awesome guy, super godly. He went through a string of things just happening to him. I saw him about a, a little over a year ago. He was in the middle of all that stuff. It was just piling up on him. Everything, like it was, everything seemed like it was just caving in on him. And he was just hanging on, trying to be the one who was going to hold it together and keep his faith in God and all that. I see him a year later, and he's at this place where, where you know, They've been through the worst of the hard times. There's a new horizon that, that is new with opportunity. And, and when I'm talking to him, you know, you know what his bar was, what his goal was? This is the guy who was, this guy's creative. He's a starter. He's a, he's a go-getter, right? This guy had been taken down by the situation to the point where his bar now was, I just don't want any more bad stuff to happen. If I can just live there where no bad stuff happens, I'm good. That is not the kingdom of God. That is not the good Samaritan. That is not leaning in and loving. That is playing it safe. Jesus punches all that in the head. So we have to, our tendency though is to play it safe, right? So our, t- our tendency is we need to lean in. We need to create opportunities. What would happen? What would happen if God's people Started playing offense. Worst thing in the world for me to watch a football game, spend hours watching a football game, and it ends three to zero. Or a baseball game, right? You go to a baseball game, extra innings, one to zero. I went to a Padre game last week. It was amazing. Not for the Padres. The Dodgers, it was like a batting practice for the Dodgers, you know, and it ended up, we, it was like eight to zero, you know, there's bam, there's going crazy. But it was fun. What would happen if we spent our lives playing offense, leaning in 
to situations. We pray these prayers sometimes. Defensive prayers. God, protect me. Help me. Save me. Keep me safe. Those are not bad prayers. But I wonder if you'll be bold enough to pray the prayers of keep me safe when I go. Maximize my influence for your kingdom. God, I want to be a part of your kingdom coming, your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you help me, even though I only have what I have, but God, if you intervene in my life, it's more than enough to do immeasurably more than anything I can think of. I want to be that one. I want to go out with bells and whistles at the end of the day. I want to love God relentlessly. I want to love others relentlessly. But how many of us are stuck playing it safe on defense and you're praying prayers that are actually like me, challenging, right? How many of us are praying, playing, uh, praying prayers, prayers that are insulting to God? I'm insulting God of who he is. He's almighty. Again, if you're over your head, perfect. Perfect. Will we live our lives that way? We have a lot of things at New Break that we want to do. We're going to do a better job of letting you guys in on all of it through the rest of this year, through next year, bringing you along, going on mission trips if you get a chance to do it. But there are so many opportunities to do stuff. I hear this thing all the time. I love our church. I love all the great things they do. You watch videos, right? I want to encourage you to flip that. I love our church. I love all the great things we do because we're in the game. We're not living vicariously through somebody else. We're actually giving and giving up our time and and our resources. I can't tell you how challenging it is to travel around the world and every other week you're in a third world country. And you get your lights punched out every week when you come home and you open up your door and you turn your water on and you can drink it and you have that flooring and you have those cabinets and you, have, and you live in San Diego. You live in this place that we live. Like I, Seriously, it's like you get your lights punched out every week and realize how much we have. And the challenge is not because there's not enough resources in the world. That's not the issue. The issue is will. The will to do it. So will you pray bold prayers? Will you allow yourself to go where only God could take you, but not be afraid because God's able to take you? I want to pray and uh, close, and the worship team's going to kind of continue and lead us. But if you, if you will, um, bow your head and, and find yourself in this prayer. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. God, help us to find our place. In Jesus' name.